Welcome to the God Solutions Show, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I hope you've been enjoying the past few interviews. If you missed those, you can go to godsolutionshow.com. Again, that's godsolutionshow.com, and go under the Past Shows tab to get the recent interviews. We recently interviewed Dr. Michael Brown. We interviewed Walt Heyer about his journey away from transgenderism. We interviewed Brady Cohn about his journey away from homosexuality. Now we're getting back to some of the scientific apologetics. Today we're going to be interviewing Casey Luskin of the Discovery Institute. Casey Luskin has graduate degrees in both science and law. That gives him a unique angle when he comes to the evidence. He understands what the burden of proof is and what's required for evidence. He also understands science, having a master's degree in earth sciences from the University of California in San Diego. And the two together make him uniquely, uniquely gifted and able to address some key issues. Today we're going to be addressing a big one that you've probably already been wondering about. Before I get to that, though, Luskin is also the co-founder of the Intelligent Design and Evolution Awareness Center, the IDEA Center, which helps college students and high school students get together and learn the arguments for intelligent design. Anyway, if you want to find out more about Casey Luskin or get a hold of some of his books, you can go to discovery.org. Again, that's discovery.org, and you'll be able to find out a lot about him there. Well, anyway, today we're going to be interviewing him about the recent Homo Naledi find that is already being billed as a transitionary species between ape and human. There's not a whole lot known about this new find. It's an extraordinary find, to say the least. We're going to talk to Casey Luskin this morning about that find. He's researched it thoroughly, and there's no better person to talk to than Casey. Without any further ado, let's get right to the interview with Casey Luskin of the Discovery Institute. Casey Luskin, welcome back to the God Solution Show. Thanks for having me on. Well, I recently read your article concerning Homo Naledi at evolutionnews.org. It was a great article, by the way. And I think your cautious, unbiased, careful approach to the data with a healthy dose of skepticism was refreshing. I saw some of your detractors who failed to appreciate your level-headed approach. I think they proved your point nicely. I think it's funny to see how quick they are to jump on this as if it were some kind of long-lost proof. And they're not really taking the cautious approach that you suggested, which I think is something all scientists should do. So anyway, they're kind of jumping on this a little prematurely, I think. Will you please give our audience a brief description of this find and why it is that it's created such a buzz? Sure. So this is a really fantastic find that has been found in a cave near Johannesburg, South Africa. Basically, uh, a team of paleoanthropologists found a cave full of hominin bones. And we're talking hundreds of bones that were found in this cave. And this is a field where, you know, people get really excited when they find a little jaw scrap. So to find a cave full of hundreds of bones is really very exciting, and it's going to cause people to just, you know... He's studying this stuff for years, and there's a lot to talk about. It's a wonderful find for the field. And what they're claiming they found is a, a, a new species of hominin, which they've named Homo naledi, which supposedly is a small-brained species with a mix of ape-like australopithecine traits and human-like traits, which some folks are claiming is a human ancestor. I'm skeptical of that for reasons that we can talk about, but that's basically the, what is the basic gist of what they found. So what is unique about this find? 
Well, it's unique in many respects. It's unique because of, uh, I think, the hands that, it found, that they found on the species are unique. I think the mixture of traits between this uh, basically very small brain uh, that they found mixed with the osteopenicine-like body, mixed with the supposedly human-like hands and feet, it's not like anything we found before. Now, I would say that uh, it's so unique that it's actually nothing like us or nothing like the transitional form that they want it to be. Uh, in fact, even some of the supposedly human-like traits on this species, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's supposedly human-like hands and feet. Even the hands and feet are unique. So, for example, one of the big claims here is that, okay, this species is a very small brain species with human-like hands. And they're, so they're saying it's a mixture of sort of ape-like and human-like traits. Well, when you look at the hands on this species, the hands themselves were unique. Uh, they're not like human hands. They actually had very long and curved fingers, which would have been well adapted for climbing, uh, very different from what we have in humans. So, again, I would say this is a, a, a new and unique species of hominin that they found. How is this find different, and how is it similar to Lee Berger's other find, the Australopithecus sediba? So this is a really interesting question, Nate, because a few years ago, the very same paleoanthropologist who right now is promoting Homo naledi found another Australopithecine species called Australopithecus sediba. And at that time, this was, again, about four years ago in 2011, he was promoting that same species as another human ancestor or a transitional form between the ape-like Australopithecines and the human-like members of the genus Homo. Now, ironically, uh, Berger has said that these two species, the Diva and the Leti, actually are very different from one another. And here's actually a quote uh, from uh, Lee Berger in the journal or in the, the magazine New Scientist. He said, Naledi is almost the mirror of Sediba. Almost everywhere in the Sediba skeleton where you see primitive features, in the Naledi you see derived features, and almost everywhere the Sediba is derived, the Naledi is primitive. So in other words, he's, you have the same person who in the last few years has touted both of these species, Naledi and Sediba, as a human ancestor. But they can't both be human ancestors because they have a very different mixture of traits and if one is related to us and the other is, is sort of, if they're both related to us, then you have a very strange evolutionary story that doesn't make any sense because you don't have a progression of traits in one direction. You actually have a reversal and a very strange mixture of traits. Okay, so what's different between them? Well, supposedly the pelvis of Australopithecus sediva is kind of like our pelvis, but the pelvis of Naledi is like the Australopithecine. So that's a major difference. Um, also, some of the, uh, the leg bones, in uh, Sediba are more like an Australopithecine, but in the Leti they're supposed to be more like us. So those are some, some big differences there. Um, both species did have small brains, however, and both species did have, uh, you know, sort of an ape-like stature. But at the end of the day, they, what's interesting here is you have the same person has promoted both species of the human ancestor, and phylogenetically speaking, that should not be true. That, these two species are very different. You would not expect both of them to be sort of in that transitional place in our lineage between the Australopithecines and Homo. So what is meant by the term anatomical mosaic? Yes, that's another great question, and that gets back to what I was saying earlier, that supposedly this is a transitional form. Well, some people have said it's an anatomical mosaic, meaning that it has sort of traits from both the Australopithecine 8 and the human-like members of the genus Homo. 
But when I saw that term being used, that immediately threw up a red flag for me because a, an, a, an anatomical mosaic in evolutionary parlance usually means something that does not fit neatly into the standard evolutionary <laughs> phylogeny. It's something that is a weird mixture of traits, and we don't know exactly where it fits. So I think that's actually a good description of Homo naledis here, that it's got a weird mixture of traits, and it's not entirely clear to us exactly where it fits in. So are all these bones from the same species? That's another good question. I think that that's going to be a very controversial question. Uh, obviously, the promoters of Homo naledi, who have named it one single species name, are claiming that it is from a single species. Um, but there have been uh, very prominent detractors in the paleoanthropological community that are already saying that, no, there are multiple species, perhaps two or more species, represented in this cave. Uh, one of the main people saying that is a paleoanthropologist named Jeffrey Schwartz from the University of Pittsburgh. And he is basically saying that when you look at the skulls that were found in this cave, there are multiple different types of skulls, and that should suggest that there were multiple species present. Um, and normally that would be a very strong argument. That argument is dismissed by Lee Berger, the discoverer of these fossils, who's saying that, okay, it's not actually different species. That's not why we have different skulls in this cave. It's actually what's called sexual dimorphism, where you basically have very great differences in the shapes of the males and females of a species. Um, so this is a controversy that's going to go on for a while. And as we find more bones in this cave, I think it's entirely possible that we could have claims of, of even additional species being found, depending on what's, what's uncovered. But the bottom line is that there's a very strong case being made that there are multiple species here and not just one. And if that's the case, that kind of uh, jumbles up and really causes problems for the evolutionary story that's being promoted by the discoverers of Homo naledi. Now, if I'm understanding your argument correctly, you're not invalidating anything that they're finding. I mean, I know we both come from not the evolutionary side of the spectrum, but what you're saying is we need to approach this find like we would approach any find with caution. Shouldn't they be doing that when they see these drastically different features? Wouldn't you expect them to say, well, let's be cautious as a good scientist, not just run to conclusions or jump to conclusions? That, that's exactly right, and that's exactly what's going on here is that I think that you see that the discoverers of the species, they have a very particular viewpoint that they want to promote. It's the idea that there was one single species discovered in this cave, that it's a human ancestor, and that it was an ape-like species that had, you know, high intelligence. We can get into this later, but they're even claiming that this small-brained species had human-like uh, characteristics and behaviors and that it buried its dead in a, in a ritualistic fashion. That's what they've been claiming uh, to the media. That's very controversial. So they have a very particular viewpoint they want to promote. Rather, I think, than sort of just, you know, letting the, the bones and the data speak for itself, and we can take a wait-and-see approach and see how it all plays out. Uh, it seems like there's a particular viewpoint they want to promote. Uh, that would be my personal opinion. And so I would say to take a more cautious, skeptical approach, I think there's a very strong case to be made that there could be multiple species in that cave. And if we talk about it later, I think the argument that this species was burying its dead in the cave is very weak. I, I don't think that that's been established at all. And then how old are these bones? Yeah, so there you go. That's another good example of where evolutionary interpretations from the species discoverers are really, I think, uh, coloring and uh, biasing the, what we're seeing stated in the media. Nobody know, the, the answer to your question, Nate, is that nobody knows how old these bones were, okay? They have not been subjected 
to a normal standard geological dating process yet. We do not know how old these bones are. Uh, maybe sometime in the future we will. It can be very difficult to date things when they're just found at the back of a cave. Hopefully we'll be able to get more data. But for the moment, nobody knows how old these bones were. But what is interesting is that there has been a date that has been promoted in the media by the species discoverers of about 2.5 to 3 million years. Well, why are they saying that? Is it the result of some, you know, objective geological dating process? Again, the answer to that question is no. So where did they get that date from? Well, they got that date from the evolutionary model that they want to promote. They know that when you look at the fossil record, there is a major gap in the fossil record between about two, two, two to three million years ago where we're lacking fossils that can document the supposed transition from the ape-like Australopithecines to the human-like members of the genus Homo. We don't have fossils from that period documenting, you know, the supposed evolutionary transition. So they would love for this fossil to be from that time period to sort of plug this gap in the fossil record, to plug this gap in their evolutionary model. That's why they want it to, to be right there. But, and that's a very big but, we do not know for right, for right now how old these bones are. The media has been claiming left and right that this species is a human ancestor, but it could actually very possibly turn out that this, this species, these bones, are younger than our own species, Homo sapiens. So they couldn't be an ancestor. Or maybe they're younger than our own, you know, main members of our genus Homo, like Homo erectus. We just don't know right now. And so it really is premature and too early to be calling the species an, uh, an ancestor when we don't even know yet how old these bones are. So my background, my undergraduate degree was in chemistry. And I don't know if I ever took a science class in college where I wasn't taught to approach evidence with skepticism. And, I mean... Even working in that field, if ever I saw something unique, I ran dupes on everything I did in the laboratory so that if there was ever something unique, I could go and check why is it unique and not just assume that the uniqueness meant something. It's bizarre to me that there would be such a propensity to jump to conclusions without answering these simple questions. It's just unbelievable. So, Well, yeah, I mean, that, and that is, I think, uh, you know, again... The people behind the species, they have every right to promote their view if that's what they want to do. But the problem is that right now in the media especially, their view is being promoted as if it is the definitive story on Homo naledi. And there's already a lot of detractors in the scientific community, a lot of controversy about what they're saying. And I think that we're going to hear other perspectives around, and cooler heads will prevail as time goes on. So the big question, did Homo naledi bury its dead? <laughs> Yeah, that's been uh, one of the big claims of the species, prom or sorry, yeah, of the promoters of the fossil. And again, the reason they're saying this is because they know it has a small brain, and they think that sort of evolutionarily, it would be really neat to have a small brain species that was exhibiting these human-like behaviors, like the ritualistic burying of the dead. You know, this is sort of a, a transitional uh, form of behavior for them. Well, I don't think the evidence at all supports that claim. Uh, for one, even if their story is true, this species was not burying its dead like we bury its dead. These bones were found at the very back of a cave. So what was really going on, even if their story is true, is these members of the species were just taking bodies and sort of dumping them at the back of the cave. They weren't burying them in the ground and, you know, saying prayers and homilies like we often will do. Uh, they were just taking bodies and throwing them in the back of the cave. Okay, fine, but is that even what happened? I think the evidence that they, these species, or these individuals they found, 
or quote-unquote buried by other members of their species is very weak. Um, so one of the points that's been raised is that this is a big, long, dark cave with lots of narrow crevices that you have to go through in order to get to the very back of the cave. So it would be difficult for any organism, any hominid, to find its way dragging a body all the way to the back of this cave in complete darkness. Well, some people have said, well, maybe they use fire. Well, again, this is a very small brain species. We have no evidence uh, from living organisms, of course, that a species with this small of a brain and this level of intelligence could have used fire. Uh, and even if they could have done that, the idea that they could have dragged their, their, their friends, their dead friends, to the very back of this cave through these very narrow crevices where they would literally be very uh, barely fitting, I mean, that would be difficult for anyone to do, um, even a modern-day person, if they had, you know, a headlamp and, and lots of gear with them. It, you know, dragging a dead body is, is, oh, I don't have an experience with that, but <laughs> from what I'm told, it's very difficult to do. So, you know, it, I, I think that it's a very unestablished claim. So there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of pushback on the claim that this species buried its dead. Really, that is sheer speculation, and there's quite a bit of evidence against it. So people have said, okay, well, then how did these bones get to the back of the cave? I would say more likely, if, this, if these individuals ended up at the back of this cave, they didn't end up back there under easy, calm circumstances. You know, we're talking about Africa here, where there are lots of predators. And the kind of place where a, a hominid on the African savanna is going to go, where they're being chased by maybe a cheetah or a lion, is they're going to run into something like a cave. Normally, maybe you wouldn't go into that cave because you don't know what's in there, but you can imagine these uh, individuals trying to escape from predators, running into this cave, and maybe they run so far back, you know, out of fear and desperation to get away from these predators that they go into the back crevices of this cave, and then maybe they get stuck there, or maybe uh, they just are afraid to come out because they're afraid to get eaten, and so they die in the back of this cave. Uh, any of these things are possibilities, but I think more likely they were going into the back of this cave maybe to escape predators rather than, you know, being buried there. There's really no evidence for that. And I think that the evidence that we do have counts against that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. Go to godsolutionshow.com for more about the show. We're interviewing Casey Luskin about the recent Homo naledi find. Considering all this, does Homo naledi belong in the genus Homo? Well, that's another really controversial claim that's going to be around for a long time. Uh, first of all, that's a subjective uh, question, of course because taxonomic categories like the genus Homo or the genus Australopithecus, these are all human constructs. I mean, we can define them however we want. And so that's going to be a very controversial claim. So typically things in the genus Homo, we like to think of them as having uh, you know, higher intelligence. And so uh, something like uh, Homo naledi that had a brain that was about the size of an Australopithecine, uh, that's probably not uh, going to have very high intelligence. Now, of course, the species promoters are saying, no way it's buried its dead. Well, this becomes sort of a circular argument, you know. It, it buried its dead, but we know because it's in the genus Homo, and it's in the genus Homo because it's buried its dead. But you know what? We really don't know that this thing had high intelligence, and the evidence that it's buried its dead, as we just talked about, I think is very weak. So, you know, does a small brain species like this belong in the genus Homo? Um, I think that that's a pretty controversial claim. I think that most likely this thing had about the same, uh, you know, intelligence as a lot of the ape-like Australopithecines that folks don't necessarily consider those to be much smarter than a, than a chimpanzee or something along those lines. Another argument that's being made for why it belongs in Homo is its supposedly tall height. 
Um, our genus is marked by very tall height compared to, say, uh, you know, the great apes or uh, uh, the, the, some of the other hominins that we know of, like the Australopithecines. However, uh, its height of the height of Homo naledi uh, at most was about five feet tall, and there are other Australopithecines that were that same height of about five feet tall. So even though on average we're taller than them, you know, they can be somewhat tall. And so I think that its height is not a definitively placed within Homo either. So, again, this is going to be a big controversial question, partly because we're talking about subjective categories here. You can argue all you want and make whatever arguments you want. There's no sort of hard, objective way for defining these categories. We make up those definitions. Uh, so, but I do think that given what we typically think of the Homo, you know, smart things that have big brains, uh, I think that that right there, I see no evidence why Homo naledi belongs in Homo. It probably belongs somewhere else. So, again, I can't help but think back to some of the articles that I read that were just rebuttals to what you wrote, and it just blows my mind. It seems like people won't look at your healthy skepticism and scientific approach, but rather they approach it with uh, just this ad hominem attack. They attack you. They attack what you wrote. They don't deal with it. The question that comes to my mind is, are Lee Berger, these other people writing about it, Lee Berger's team, the media, just all these people in general, are they demonstrating scientific integrity in this case? Are they cautiously evaluating the evidence or just running with something that they believe supports their presuppositions and evolutionary assumptions? Yeah, I, I'm definitely not here to attack Lee Berger's scientific integrity or anybody's scientific integrity. I mean, he's a very good scientist, and this is a fantastic find. He deserves kudos, I think, for bringing this find to the world's attention, one of the best prominent finds ever, and putting together a team to excavate it. So, I mean, kudos to him for that. I would rather just make arguments, you know, and say, look, I think that, uh, I think that a lot of the claims that are being made by Lee Berger and his team are, uh, there's some counter evidence there, and it's being raised by some very credible people and in some pretty strong ways. And I think that we ought to really take a dose of healthy skepticism to some of the claims that are being made uh, by the discoverers of the species they do have their own viewpoint, an evolutionary model they want to promote. Uh, they have the right to do that if they want, uh, and, and that's okay. I mean, that's, it's okay to have a model in science, but it's also okay to say, you know what, I don't think that model holds up to the evidence, and sometimes maybe you're even letting the model get a little bit ahead of the data. Uh, you know, maybe the data ultimately will bear out their model. I'm skeptical, uh, and I think that there's already a lot of counter evidence there. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, well, let's let the data speak for itself, and, and I'm content to say that. How would you suggest others approach this new species? Does this prove evolution? I, again, would say uh, take a dose of healthy skepticism. It's been well recognized in the fossil record that we are lacking fossils that document a transition from the ape-like hominins in the Australopithecines to uh, the human-like uh, you know, species that we see in the genus Homo. Uh, people would love to find something to plug that gap because it's a major problem for uh, the evolutionary story of human beings. But I don't think that this fossil plugs that gap. We don't know how old it is. It's very unique. Even the supposedly human-like traits that make this a quote-unquote anatomical mosaic, even those human-like traits are very unique compared to humans. So I think that even if you know, this fossil turns out to be 2-point-something million years old, uh, the case for a transitional form is not all that they've cracked it up to be. Uh, it's surely an interesting species, if it is one species. Again, that's another controversy. But whatever it was, I think it was unique. And I think that that right now is probably the safest and most 
uh, you know, objective and strongest just conclusion you can make. The idea that it's a human ancestor is definitely not established. Uh, we don't, there's so many things we don't know about the species. And what we do know, I think, uh, does not necessarily put it in uh, the category of being a human ancestor. How should those of us that question evolution approach this? Again, take, I think whether you question or don't question evolution, you should always take a dose of healthy skepticism. Uh, we've seen over and over again over the years a repeating pattern that a new hominin fossil is found. It's promoted by the media as a, a human ancestor or a transitional form or whatever you want to call it, and then wait a few months or a year or so, and cooler heads will prevail. And you will see criticism coming out against that species, uh, saying, you know what, this was not everything that the media originally chalked it up to be. Uh, we have seen that, I've seen that pattern so many times over the years. Uh, we saw it with Australopithecus sediba that we talked about earlier in this conversation. Uh, there have been what, weighty criticisms of the initial claims that sediba was a human ancestor. So far, given, I think, some of the overstated claims uh, regarding this new species and the evidence, I would say that Homo naledi is starting off on that exact same track. We're going to see uh, more commentaries, more analyses coming out. They're going to be very critical of Homo naledi as a human ancestor um, and as a supposed transitional form. Uh, and there's already criticisms that have come out on that as well. So uh, I think uh, take a dose of healthy, healthy skepticism and realize that the paleoanthropology community has you know, almost as many opinions as there are people in the field. And that's because it can be very difficult to make definitive claims in this very controversial field. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of disagreement, and there's already a lot of disagreement about this fossil. So, you know, just know that because you hear it on one blog or one team of scientists saying it, doesn't mean that there aren't plenty of others who would feel differently. Uh, there certainly is not a consensus right now that uh, Homo naledi is a human ancestor. So you're on the cutting edge of all this stuff. Where can people find out more about you, your work, your books, any sites you'd like to share so that they can stay on the cutting edge of all this? Sure. Well, uh, folks can go to evolutionnews.org. Uh, that's our website at Discovery Institute where we have articles almost every day uh, keeping up with the ID evolution debate. That's, again, it's www.evolutionnews.org. And I did write a book on human origins. I, I should say I co-wrote a book a couple of years ago. The title is Science and Human Origins. You can pick it up on Amazon, and it's a great resource for learning about the topic of human origins. Uh, we talk about both the fossil and the genetic side of these questions um, in that book, and it's a great resource. It was published in 2012, so, you know, it's a little couple years old, so it won't have something brand new like Homo naledi in it, but it does have the vast majority of, you know, the, the, the data and the, the relevant fossils are covered in that book, and uh, hopefully folks will find it as a helpful resource. I I actually think, uh, you know, when I was writing some of my material in that book and doing research, I was really uh, surprised to find just how many leading scientists have admitted that we lack fossils documenting a transition from the ape-like Australopithecines to the human-like members of the genus Homo. Uh, it's really quite striking, and you can read more about it in the book. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for being back on The God Solution Show. Thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good one. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Casey Luskin of the Discovery Institute. Again, we realize that the evidence for evolution is lacking. What we heard today is that this supposed transitionary species isn't quite all it's cracked up to be. As great a find as it is, 
there's more to be found and there is more research to be done. Anyway, I'm glad you listened. Keep tuning in. We're going to be interviewing Dr. Justin Bass, who recently debated Bart Ehrman, one of the biggest critics of the New Testament. That's coming soon. Keep tuning in. We'll have that and more great interviews in the very near future. Well, if you don't know much about the God Solution Show, or even if you do, go to GodSolutionShow.com. You'll be able to find all of our past shows there, and you'll be able to find out ways that you can partner with us to expand the ministry of the God Solution Show. You can do that under the Partner tab. I couldn't end the show without letting you know that if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God loves you and that you and I are sinful and separated from him, but that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that any who put their faith and trust in him can receive the gift of salvation. If you're at that point where you're ready to trust Christ as Savior, putting your faith in him, you could verbalize that right now through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me new life. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior. Please be my Lord. And please make me the kind of person that you want me to be. I hope that you'll take that step if you haven't already. Again, go to GodSolutionShow.com to find out more about the show and even to see a list of local churches that you could visit this weekend. Thanks so much for listening. Keep tuning in and get the word out about the show. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a great afternoon.